<laughs> it's gone. It's a grand slam. And that's the ball game. This is the Prospects Baseball Show, your inside look at the boys and girls of summer. Here's your hosts, Dean Millard and Jordan Blundell. Welcome to Episode 9 of the Prospects Baseball Show. My name is uh, Dean Millard, Jordan Blundell with me as usual, and... um, it's been a good week for the Edmonton prospects. We're going to dive into uh, all of that as we roll along on the program, but a couple of ways for you to get in touch with us. If you want to participate in the show, you can do so on Twitter at prospects pod at Jordan Blundell four, at duck Millard or at EDM prospects. That's the uh, team Twitter on Twitter or on Instagram, rather at prospects baseball show on Facebook, the same thing at prospects baseball show. And you can email us at any point, uh, prospectsbaseballshow at gmail.com. You can check out our website as well, prospectsbaseballshow.ca. And, of course, for everything related to the Edmonton Prospects, including getting tickets for the stretch drive of the WCBL, it is prospectsbaseballclub.ca. Hey, bada, 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 so bada. Got him looking at the curveball. Let's go around the horn and get the big news in baseball. Uh, Jordan, um, last uh, week and a bit we were talking, you were... How would you like to manage the Indians this year? I don't know. What do you mean you don't know? This is a chance to manage in the big leagues. Let me think it over, will you, Charlie? I got a guy on the other line about some white walls. (laughs) Um, Because things weren't going well, and now you're more like... We won a game yesterday, and if we win one today, that's two in a row. We win one tomorrow, that's called a winning streak. It has happened before. So let's see some hustle. Let's jack it up a little. I got a feeling things are about to turn around for us. We're on a win streak from uh, from Major League Lou Brown. So, <laughs> you know, it's amazing what can happen in a week, and uh, you guys had an amazing week. Five straight wins. And the bats really came alive, particularly uh, in the back half of that win streak. Yeah, you know what? That was fun to do at home in front of our fans. Uh, Some extra base hits, some triples. I think hitting triples is maybe the most exciting thing in in the game. And I love watching it because I love watching the runners, like, take off their full speed, head down, inside corner of the bag, you know, slides coming at third. You know, they're pumped. They're right by our dugout at home. So, you know, their teammates are all over them right there. Uh, really cool, and it, you're making the call for them to, you know, take that extra bag. So you have an uh, <laughs> obviously uh, uh, invested interest yeah. majorly because well, you're in charge. We, should, we we could touch on that, Dino. It may look like I'm making the call because I'm waving. I don't think too many players are not going for it. So I, I'm more of a, a showpiece on that part. Okay, so let's take that uh, guy hits a ball really well, and he. He charges around second. Maybe you're not sure. Are you okay with that aggressiveness, even if uh, the odd time he's called out? Well, yeah. I mean, it, it depends. The situation dictates when you want to push for it. Uh, none out. You do not want to make the first out of the third because at second, you, there's a high probability, sabermetrically, you that you're going to score that run. Um, 
Yeah, I was kind of joking a little bit. When I'm waving a guy, um, I think it just reaffirms what their instincts are. Sure. So it helps them decide that I'm, I am going to go for it. Um, I don't think anybody's really busted through a huge stop sign. Like, they're they're pretty good at, you know, if I got the stop up early, they see it, they'll shut it down. Um, they do but have you, the ability. You have to make your decision early, too, yep. because they've got to focus on where they're going. They can't be staring at you the whole time, well, so it's split yeah, second, right? Yeah, no, totally. And then, like, with, within the flow of a baseball player, he, you can sense it, you can hear me. I'm pretty vocal, too, when I'm doing it, and I'm waving hard so that hopefully, you know, if and when out of the next five steps, they'll pick it up. So it's an early wave. Um, yeah, I feel like my instincts are, are that of an offensive player. So once the ball gets hit, I've, you know, I've prepared my reads, you know, okay, what's going to happen when the ball lands in these spots? What kind of runner is he? You know, I, I can see them flying out of the box. If they're thinking three, that helps me. If they're not, if they're not super aggressive out of the box, that helps me make a decision. Um, we do have some guys that can, they can get her going pretty good. Um, so you know, we want to take as many bases as we can in this game. You, you, you never know when, when you're going to be uh, thwarted on your opportunities, you know, when the other team settles in or, or shuts it down on you. So you want to take 90 feet whenever you can. Um, super fun to wave the guys. When the ball's in front of them, Dino, so something in left center and the left field foul line, um, the, the batter runner coming around the bag has a visual of, of myself and the ball. It really is their decision. I'm there to help support them, and I'm aggressive-minded, so um, they're come ripping around the bag. Um, same kind of idea when they're coming from second to score. They don't get to see the ball, so they have to trust that coach is going to give them the goods. Um, and I think we have a really good chemistry with it with the lineup. I think they know, um, you know, for the most part, as the ball is being hit, what they can and can't get away with offensively, and 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 it's been fun. You know, man, like. Speed kills, dude. Uh, I love watching it. Um, like I said, I think the funnest thing for me to watch, you know, outside of a big game-winning home run, which which is a who doesn't love that, is guys splitting a gap and come ripping around second for a triple. Like the the the, the effort, the arms pumping your full-time sprinter when that's happening. It's it's a fun thing to watch. Yeah, a b- baseball IQ, or you know, you talk about in different sports, the IQ of that sport comes into play. Yep. Uh, I do not have good baseball like you in MLB The Show. Uh, that's I'm called into the office all the time yep. in that game for uh, being too aggressive. Uh, but, I, but I think I would rather be on a team that goes for it and, and loses out the odd time than never goes for it and you never know. And then you're – listen, if, if we're aggressive and we lost that game, okay, I can live with that. Uh, if we left something out there that could have helped us, oh. that's where I would – be uh, I wouldn't want to play for a coach that way, and I and I don't think you're that type of coach at all. I think no. you are the guy that says, "Not we're not going out at for it ten out of ten times, uh, but more often than not, we're going to be aggressive." We're thinking it. So there's a situation in Swift Current, Dino, and this is, the, I'll remember this situation for a long time. Um, we had a ball hit like, and then we were trying to get out of a funk, you know. And we were, we played three tight games. We could have lost all three there. We could have won all three. Um, Fortunately for us, we took two or three. Great ball club out there, and, and Joe Carnahan's uh, a, a friend of mine and, and first class. We had a ball late in the game that was kind of f- fluttered, you know, Texas leaguer, as they say, um, into short center field on the right side of the bag. So the second baseman is going to make a play. The shortstop's going after it, but it's going to be the second baseman and the center fielder. We had a run around third. There was one out. 
and honestly we should have we should have been aggressive and tested that arm because it's an infielder going back on a ball that never practices that throw that has to deal with some slow grass on long hops and swift just the field conditions are different than than remax there was a lot of things indicating that as a base runner we're going to test this and then on top of that we had had some issues scoring runs and this is an opportunity to maybe flip a coin and based on you know the the probability of everything if you brought out your your calculus your calculator and everything it, 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 it would make sense to go for this and we didn't um and i feel like for sure i was partly responsible as a coach like 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 as i'm waving guys around it's just to reaffirm hey you're doing this we're doing this yeah i should have been a little bit more forceful with the idea and the read like hey you do this on him do this on him um and, and i didn't freeze i didn't really think about peer pressuring the player um and not that i didn't know for sure if he'd read it well it just, it, it, as it turned out, wasn't a good read. We should have gone on it. Um, we ended up winning that game, so thank goodness for that. Um, but that was an opportunity to get, I'm not going to say, it, it's not a cheap run. It's just a good baseball play on our end to take something a from bonus, the other team. Yeah. Yep, that, that they couldn't defend it, so we want to take advantage of it. And that's where that aggressive mindset comes. But that's a rare. You know, you're, There's not a lot of situations, I think, this year from watching your team yeah. Where you can say, "Oh, I should have been yeah. more aggressive." You're right. You you're know, right. so so that's okay. We'll we'll let that one slide. Okay, <laughs> so okay, you're one game out of second place, and uh, the playoff format I imagine is the the same as last year. Four teams yeah. make the playoffs. There are four teams in your division within a game of each other. So you know you're not going to catch first, but you can. And right now you're fifth. Uh, you could finish second. Uh, this season is wide open as you head down the stretch that has to be you know and and you and your team put yourselves in that situation with a good uh back half of the week yeah cue cue the cue the rocky four for the road trips now it's it's dog fight time um, are you guys running up mountains yes, uh, with yes, russian spies yeah, we, chasing we, you <laughs> heading up to jaff for getting in the <laughs> snow right, up at uh, the peaks <laughs> um, Polly chomping on a cigar <laughs> Yeah, we're we're lifting hay bales, chopping wood. <laughs> um, it's that time of year, man. Honestly, Dino, this is going to be fun. Um, you know, I think we we you know we were in trouble, and we we've kind of battled back to to even square one. Um, I think that our team will have learned some things and grown as a group going through what we went through, and and to be where we're at now, which is which is nowhere. I mean, there's such such a huge part of the season left, but um, there's some growth there. I I feel like our team has matured uh within the group with each other you know we've kind of settled into our roles on the team which sometimes takes time you know whether it takes you know two weeks or or four or five weeks with a team of strangers basically just to kind of get a feel for everyone's at um i think we're in a good situation now Uh, i feel like we control our own destiny um there there's four other teams in this five pack of dog fighting teams that want what we want um so it's more about executing. It's more about believing in each other, you know, having each other's backs, um, you know, and, and expecting success and, and being confident that you're going to be that guy for us tonight. So uh, it's been really cool. There's so many guys that have chipped in here in the last five games. And, you know, frankly, the, the last two weeks, I feel like we, we kind of started to turn a corner. Um, you know, I had some issues, you know, kind of early in midseason, you know, with the quality of our at-bats uh, and, and 
I really feel like we weren't rewarded. We had made an adjustment uh, about two weeks ago. There was a noticeable adjustment with the level of our at-bats. We still ended up striking out a little bit too much for, for my liking and for our opportunity to score runs. But the at-bats were changing. So we're kind of in mid-transition. And I think we've seen that transition you know, not fully take hold. For sure, we'd still want to continue to improve our quality of at-bats. But there's been a bit of a shift. It's been cool to watch. The guys worked hard for it. You know, there were some some not fun moments. You know, we challenged them as a group of offensive players to, like, we, we got to make some changes here. And, you know, for the most part, I think that we've been able to make those changes. It's been awesome to see. Uh, for me, I'm proud of them because we were, we were working hard with them. You know, we got on them a little bit that we need to do some things different here. And, and they've responded. Um the other thing is giving giving some pitchers in our league some credit. Like, there's some guys in this league that can flat bring it um, and, and had gotten us for sure, you know. So there, there's some times where we need to tip our cap. You know, we're, we are going to strike out. We are going to get beat. Um, but that's uh, maybe minimized a little bit here with a little bit more focus that the guys have brought to the table. And, you know, winning's fun. You know, so it, uh, hopefully it's contagious and we want to keep it rolling, you know. The interesting thing about your season was it started really well, and uh, we had some decent uh, early June nights. It wasn't uh, it wasn't like twenty five degrees, but it wasn't freezing uh, those first couple of nights. Yeah. Then the rain and obviously the the unfortunate uh, northern wildfires that affected so much yeah. more than just baseball. Yeah. Obviously, yeah, people's yeah. lives. But, you know, that was a, 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 a delay. And, and then the, the really crappy weather came in, and your kind of season went down. The sun is back out now, and you guys are on the rise. So let's Fair hope for the team. last three weeks <laughs> we get, well, let's hope we get beautiful weather yeah. until October. But, yeah, yeah. you know, at least uh, the people can come out and watch this product. You guys are excelling. Uh, so you have three weeks-ish till yeah. the playoffs, like, like what's 17, it, 17 games? Yeah, like 17. So this is the, you know, do you, do you consider this the official stretch drive with how tight the race is yeah. in your division? Like, yeah. this is almost playoffs already. Yeah, no, totally. It is. It is. Uh, execution goes up, level of focus, the intent, the intentions behind everything, that goes up. Um, you know, the the cool thing is we do control our own destiny. We've got uh, four games against Fort Mac, three against Lethbridge, a game against Okotoks, a couple against Mad Hat, four against Brooks. So within our div- the only games that are outside our division, we've got three Yorkton games. Mm-hmm. So we've got fourteen division games, four pointers. The old the old That's NHL right, yeah. four pointers coming up. So uh, you, your season fun. is in your hands. Yeah, really. I, we believe so, um, and and the the standings indicate that. Um, so it'll be fun, man. Like this is where this is where it. it it, it gets fun. You know, the early part of the season, everybody kind of settling into Edmonton and learning the road and the buses and everything. You know, now now we, we've been there and done that. Nobody's a rookie in the league anymore. You know, you're, you've done this for six weeks. You're a veteran now. You know what to expect. The pregame, you know, the postgame, the hotels, the travel. Um, and now it's just about staying together as a group and playing the game that you love. Well, of, of course, that's... Uh uh, you know, I, I uh, recently worked with uh, Hockey Canada on uh, some development discussions that, uh, you know, you can stay tuned to Hockey Canada for more details. But kind of my tagline at the end was, being great means little if you're not having fun. And listen, you, you don't go out there, losing is not fun, yeah. uh, losing continually, but um, there's no point in going to the ballpark if you're not having fun. Winning obviously brings that out, but um, it's it's an important aspect of, of the game of being able to enjoy yourself. For sure. Nobody nobody wants to think of going to the ballpark as a drag. So, no. 
Um, um, and we had so many tight games that we had lost, right, and yeah. it was like that could be frustrating. Stick right? with the guys. Like, uh, like I felt that we were right there, and and you know every game's a new day, and and we weren't being rewarded for some of the adjustments and things that we were doing really well. And maybe that was uh, kind of the baseball gods' payback for us not doing some things well early in the year. Um, but the guys, the guys came together. They stuck with it, and and I'm um, proud of them for that. You guys are in the stretch drive. Major League Baseball is now in its post All Star break uh, season, uh, the second half, and we've talked about the races before. The NL Central is the only race that is really, really, and every team, every team in that division is in it. Like that's yeah. the cool thing. You look at the wild card, and there are five teams in the American League wild card race that are at least fifteen and a half games out. There is only one team in the National League race that is double digits. That's the Miami Marlins. They're thirteen games out, but the New York Mets, like they're way down in the wild card race. They're only six games out. Like the second half, I don't ever remember it being this close for this many teams. Because we always talk about baseball as okay, you're a Jays fan, great. Your team is 18 games out of a wild card spot. <laughs> it's not good, right? No. But there are if you're if you're a fan of a National League team, there's a good chance that that your team is going to be in playoff contention this year. Maybe not for the division, but for a playoff yeah. spot. This is exactly what baseball needs: is exactly a race like the this. The point of the wild card. That's yeah. right. Um, well, you you look at teams like this is changing the business of baseball too from from the the, the management side of things buyers and sellers buyers right and, and you might be both at the same time There's totally the, 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 the Trevor Bauer rumors of them maybe looking to move him as the devil or the Tampa Bay Rays did last year with uh, Archer they brought in Glasnow and Meadows who are two younger players they brought in an arm to replace Archer and this this Oakville bat top prospect who has stuck and, and played really well mm -hmm. and that may have improved their team by them sending away their best pitcher during a playoff race they added two pieces and both worked out so now like the business of baseball has looked at this as you know you're, you're in the race what can you do now that maybe helps your team but also will help it in the future and the Indians are right now are, are, are tiptoeing around this Trevor Bauer situation with his contract coming up and I mean, shoot, dude, whoever gets him is getting a legit guy. If they're willing to do that deal, I mean, somebody, somebody's getting a guy that's going to give them quality start after quality start. If they're able to replenish and get an everyday position player, uh, an arm that maybe is a little bit further down in the rotation, because they've got so many young arms, that just they'll just bump up the, the pecking order and they'll bring in a, a legit number five that in two years is a one or a two. This might be better for them long term, which is crazy to even think, because how good Trevor Bauer is. Well, and you save money on a plane ticket because he just flies himself there with his drone, right? <laughs> like he just—you don't have to pay for a first-class ticket for him. So, okay, a week ago you sat in that chair and said Vlad Guerrero should not be in the home run derby. How do you feel uh, seven days later? I feel like a boob. <laughs> what a show did he put on? Do you know that was incredible? Uh, uh, like. Like, my whole thought process was he's pretty young. I don't know if he's done enough to be in there, you know, statistically-wise. Um, as a fan of the game, I love Vladdy, so I, I'm cool with it on that side. That's kind of the baseball person. I was like, well, you know, maybe there's some other guys that are deserving. But shoot, dude. Like, him and Jock Peterson going back and forth there was... That was the home run derby for me. Unbelievable. A Dodger and <laughs> Vladdy Jr. Yeah. Vladdy Jr., man. Like, unbelievable. 
how many balls he hit and how far some of those balls and how hard they were. He's 20 years old. Like, he's 20 years old. But you have to, in my opinion, get them in the derby young yeah, because, right. um, I'm you know. i my opinion next year when we talk about in that. In 10 years, when he is trying to win a World Series for whatever team, he's it. like, I'm not yeah. stressing my body out uh, for the season. You're right. I think my take has changed. Um, that You know, that up-and-coming guy, you do want him in early because he connects with the fans. Totally. He, he is he, a fan. He is a fan. Um Maybe in 10 years it's different because this wave knows. So the 20-year-old now, when he's 30, knows a social media game. Yeah, I don't think some of the older players that are in that 30-year-old, they're not so concerned with that. You're, like They've moved on maturity-wise. It's about you know the titles and, and chasing that and whatnot. You know, so the next wave of, of kids and players that will be the future, like there's a kid somewhere in the U.S. right now or, or Dominican or Puerto Rico that's going to be in this derby in five years. That watch that. That's, that's 2021 that is so in tune with connecting with people, social media, and, and their reach and their potential to reach and inspire has just augmented because of what Vladdy's done. He's paved the way for the youngest players to get this opportunity. And, and I mean, Jock Peterson isn't that old, and Pete Alonso's not that old, and it's a young player sport now. You know, the veterans seem to be getting squeezed out a little bit because of money and they want to, you know, if we're going to invest long-term, we want to put it in the younger players. The, the older guys aren't getting the long-term contracts that they once did. Um, so this transition to the youth movement has happened and maybe Vladdy put a stamp on it with the 91 home runs in the Derby. Still strange that he uh, does not win the home run Derby. Yeah, what do you think the... about that? Well... Would you um, rather not see the the head to head move? Yeah, I on? think I would rather just see the most home runs. That that's what we're there for. If, if the guy who hits the most home runs, but I understand if you, it's no different than you sweep in the first round and lose in the second round. Well, what did your first round do for you? You know, maybe you have to be, uh, but that's a team thing. This is an individual hitting, and the thing I just worry the most about is getting hurt. Like that's just I I never want to like it happened to Oilers fans here when Sean Horkoff went to the All-Star yeah. game and got hurt in the fastest skater. Like you never want to see anybody get hurt in a meaningless game. Like that's the that's the that the number one thing. So I I don't know how they do it, but listen, it's hard to put that excitement back in the bottle and say, "Hey, we're going to dial this back a little <laughs> bit after we saw 91 home runs." Um okay, so there's a physical toll there too. Of course Dino. there is. Like yeah. The 4 minutes then a break, For 4 sure. minutes and a break like And then the extra really... the bonus time that you get sometimes too. It it does take its toll. That's That's a full week's work right It's ridiculous. Okay, um we're going to have Tanner Roundy on the show a little bit later, one of your outfielders. He has a pretty emotional story that he's going to tell us. But if if there was a dry eye in the house on uh, Friday night uh, watching the Angels game, I wouldn't believe it. I wouldn't believe if somebody uh, said that over the weekend. It was amazing. Tyler Skaggs passed away earlier this year, war number 45. All the players wore 45. Mike Trout hit a 450, which has 45 foot home 454. run. 454. Oh, 454. Like yeah, yeah. Four, five, yeah, it's infinity. Yeah. Um, the last time the Angels had, uh, was it a combined no hitter? Was the day Tyler Skaggs was born? Yeah, 713. Like the, the, you cannot tell me that. You know, and and here's the other thing that may have been lost. They're the angels. <laughs> so Tyler Skaggs is now the ultimate angel, and and you know, divine intervention had to be taking place on that night. It was just one of the most iconic nights in sports that I remember. Yeah, that higher power thing, man, and and believing in something greater than yourself, and and you know, to see, uh, like, I mean, I can't even pretend to understand what 
you know, the, the clubhouse guys like, you know, Mike Trout are going through somebody that was close to this person, to Tyler Skaggs. You know, they spent time together on the road in the offseason going to NFL games in Philly. There's a video of that. Um, you know, to be able to play uh, under those circumstances is, um, you know, I, I, I hope I never have to be a part of that. Um, you know, like, what an ambassador for the game. Like, Mike Trout, the, the way that that was handled, uh, the emotions that came out of him as the face of baseball, and then he's got a bad rap of being not marketable or hasn't put himself out there, and um, I hate hearing That's that. That's a crock of crap. Oh, I, like, I hate hearing it because everything he's ever done has been first class, um, special, um, and the way he handled the media before that game and then after that game, um, it, it was refreshing to see the human side of of an athlete. And not that Mike Trout isn't that all the time, but to see the emotions that were attached to what that game meant for him and like to, to have someone so close to you <laughs> not be around anymore is, is man, it's something. And, and there's something about this sport, you know, baseball, um, the power that it brings people together, uh, the, the reach that it has throughout communities, um, you know, of all different races and colors and, and sizes and shapes. Um, it's, it's an inclusive sport. Um, you know, we, we feel like that here in Edmonton. Um, for all those things to line up with those numbers, like how can it be explained any differently? Yeah, and, and listen, Tyler Skaggs was a pitcher. And the pitchers combined as a team to do the ultimate thing you want to do as a pitcher, not allow a hit. Like it was the ultimate. There, there, you, you can't tell me there's not somebody guiding those balls and it's not Tyler Skaggs. I, I, you could tell me it's, there's not, it's not happening. I'm not going to believe you. Yeah, I'm so near, I'm on the same group as you. And, and this is the least important thing um, uh, when it comes to the Tyler Skaggs situation. Listen, he lost his life, and that's the most important thing. The least important thing is what that night might do for this team the rest of the way and, and you know, become one of the, like the St. Louis Blues uh, rallying from last place. And then the, the LA Angels are only five games out of oh. a wild card. And that emotion can do many good things for a locker room as far as winning, which is, like I said, is the, the least important thing in this situation. We're talking about a human life. But you can't ignore that kind of emotion. Uh, it just uh, takes over sometimes. Yeah, you know, and then it's real life. And, and um, the power of people, man, the power of people coming together, uh, the power of people supporting each other. And, and you know, in such a, a, a sad time, you could see the love, you know, like in that clubhouse, in those interviews, the tears were real, the, the emotions were real, the caring is real. They, they, they want to help each other get through this unbelievably sad time and tragic time um you know the power of positivity is is maybe on display for the world to see in anaheim with uh you know with mike trout leading the way and that group of people um putting on a brave face and, and continuing on um and and you know maybe there's a lesson to be learned here for for parts of humanity Let's get back to the action. This is the Prospects Baseball Show. Time for a little uh, baseball history class now. And uh, as I uh, like to do, Jordan, we're uh, uh, heading back to the uh, beginning of time, it seems, for the first one. 1901. But 
It uh, does involve a pretty legendary uh, pitcher, uh, Christy Matheson. Mm. First rookie to throw a no-hitter in baseball history in the modern area. He was 20 years old, and the uh, right-hander who would uh, throw one other no-hitter in 1905 uh, held the cards hitless in the Giants' 5-0 victory at Robinson Field in St. Louis. Uh, it's still uh, to only have two no-hitters for one of the greatest. It seems seems a little bit low. We'll yeah, have yeah. another no-hitter uh, later on by a legend when it comes to no-hitters. 1960. Brooks Robinson becomes the first Oriole to hit for the cycle Brooksy. when he strokes a two-run triple to center field off Turk Lown in the ninth inning. Five for five, Brooksy went with three RBIs, and uh, Baltimore wins 5-2. Quick question, what's harder, a no-hitter or hitting for the cycle? Like a pitcher throwing a complete no-hitter, not a combine, a no-hitter or hitting for the cycle? I'd say no-hitter. I would say no hitter, no doubt. And like cycles are difficult because you could have four doubles in the game, and like you're, right, you're yeah. not rewarded with this great tag. I've always kind of thought the cycle was just a cool thing to have happen. Um, I would rather take three, three, four doubles than you know, and, and help the team that way than than that single kind of thing. You know, two home runs and two doubles. We're not even talking about you, Dino. Like you didn't hit for the cycle. Um, I think it's a really cool thing. I, I don't think it really means that much as far as I'm concerned. Yeah, I guess the cycle is you have to do something four times in, in different ways. Uh -huh. uh, no hitter, you have to do something 27 times if you want a per perfect game, right? Yeah. Like and, the, and get some get a lot of help. Yeah, yeah, totally. But the cool thing about the cycle is to get the triple. Yeah, that's like, that, you, that's the hardest thing, if right? You get that out of the way. Like, You're if you like, lead yeah, off yeah. the game with a triple, you I'm imagine sure if you didn't thinking. get the single. <laughs> Like the couple triples, yeah, a couple years. You're like, oh, I'll just stop it first because I want the cycle. Yeah, you hit, <laughs> no, you're you're coming up. You've got a triple, a home run, and a double, and you rip one down the line, and it bounces around, and you stop at first to get the cycle. Can't do that. That's something yeah. Gus Millard would do in MLB yeah, the yeah. Show. Yeah. yeah, he would definitely be all over that. Okay, 1967, Bob Gibson, uh, St. Louis Cardinals pitcher. Uh, his right fibula is fractured by a Roberto Clemente line drive. How hard would that hit uh, hurt uh, Clemente ripping one uh, back up the box? So that happens on this day in 1967. Uh, the Redbird right-hander was out until Labor Day, recovers well enough to allow only three earned runs in three complete World Series game victories over the Red Sox. And Bob Gibson right now is battling pancreatic cancer, so uh, thoughts go out to him. But that is just ridiculous toughness to to break a bone and come back and throw 27 innings of uh, World Series baseball, allowing one earned run a game on average. That's ridiculous. Yeah, I mean he's in he's in the upper echelon of the Hall of Fame and toughness. So, yeah, yeah. And, and uh, apparently, I feel bad for pancreatic cancer because Bob Gibson's going to kick the crap out yeah. of it. I think so. <laughs> um, yeah. 1973 uh, in a game which featured Norm Cash trying to use a table leg instead of a bat in the ninth inning because Nolan Ryan was about to uh, throw another no-hitter. Uh, so Norm Cash brings up this table leg, and the umpire's like, get the hell out of here with that, looking <laughs> at it. So he tosses away and gets the bat. I actually watched the, uh, the clip. It was kind of cool. Uh, so anyway, in that game, Nolan Ryan struck out 17 batters to become the fourth pitcher to throw two no-hitters in the same season. Uh, the Angels beat the Tigers 6 nothing. The rare feat has been accomplished by uh, Johnny Vandermeer uh, with the uh, the Reds in the uh, late 30s. 
uh, Virgil Trucks, uh, also in the late 30s with the Tigers, and Ollie Reynolds, 1951 with the Yankees. So, uh, w- listen, baseball history class, when we go to it, is littered with Nolan Ryan um, um, footnotes, right? Like the guy did so much. <laughs> all over it. And there's a really funny Twitter account called That 70 Sports, and they tweeted out the other day that Robin Ventura set a collegiate record with uh, 57 hits or something in whatever his year was. Uh, Nolan Ryan connected 57 straight times uh, with Robin Ventura <laughs> later on in the career. But uh, 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 Nolan Ryan is all over uh, baseball history. Uh, 1980, Johnny Bench, who we just talked about, establishes a new home run record for catchers, and he breaks your guy, Yogi Berra's previous record. Um, Bench hit uh, 33 dingers while playing other positions as well. In 1994, this is really... Uh, I forgot about this, but this is crazy. I remember this. 1994 on this day was when Albert Bell's bat uh, was suspected of being corked. So they take it away in the first inning of the Indians-White Sox game at Comiskey, and it's put in Dave Phillips' locker room. That's the umpire. So they take it and they put it in the umpire's locker room, and then it goes missing. (laughs) Yeah, it's a great story. So... Um, it was taken and replaced by a burglar who gains access to the umpire's room by squirming through an overhead crawl space. And the guy, Jason Grimsley, uh, confessed to it five years later that he was the guy crawling through the crawl space. And it's discovered uh, when pieces of ceiling tile litter the floor and the name on the cleats, uh, the clean bat now reads Paul Sorrento. Like, that's incredible. Hey, it's Bad as cork. Let's go in and try and steal it from the umpires. God, I love the upper upper level espionage attached to that whole story. It's pretty cool. That is amazing. And uh, 04, Eric Gagne surpasses Jeff Shaw for the most career saves in Dodger history. 130th, uh, the 28 right-hander closes out a uh, perfect ninth inning. Of course, uh, you know, Canadian that uh, had that record-breaking season. Though, season. Yeah. So uh, that is a little bit of uh, baseball history. Tell us your best baseball story and you could be watching a prospects game from a suite and taking batting practice before the game. So how baseball memories work is you tell us a baseball memory uh, from your uh, childhood or your child's life or uh, as you've been older, it could be anything, watching a game, Uh, playing a game, coaching a game. It does not matter as long as it is a baseball memory. And you email us at prospectsbaseballshow at gmail.com. Just tell us the memory. And you could be watching a game from a suite, August 3rd, Fan Appreciation Night. And you could be taking batting practice before the game. Each winner and a guest will get to come to the game. And one of the two will get to take batting practice. Now, we only have two spots left. And we have some entries coming in. So I'm going to wait a little bit. Uh, I've contacted four winners already. But if you want to get in on this, like, dude, watching from a suite, which is pretty cool, especially at uh, field level, and getting a chance to take batting practice, that would be, you could put on your own Vlad Jr. display <laughs> at uh, Remax and uh, maybe get uh, signed uh, to a contract. So my baseball memory today is um, 
playing the game but not organized. Unorganized baseball. And we're going to hear a good story from uh, Tanner Roundy, our guest, in just a little bit about uh, the games they played as kids. But th- this goes beyond just playing these games. Like, we would play stealing bases, you know, man on first, steal second, pitcher, catcher, second baseman, whatever it is. Um, but I would literally, Jordan, this is when I was like 8, 9, 10 years old, I would literally get, like, my baseball uniform that I was going to, like, okay, I got my Expos uniform I'm wearing tomorrow. I'm going to be Tim Raines, or I'm going to be, you know, Andre Dawson, or I'm going to be Gary Carter. Um, okay, now i got my Dodger uniform for today. I'm going to, you know, th- like I would literally get so excited about me and my friend Chris Kilmarie. We would go to the outdoor rink right down the street that was obviously not flooded in July and play with ghost runners and this and that. But I would get so excited. Like I would treat it as it was a real game, and I would get up and like, okay, i got to get ready. I would put on my stirrups. Like it was just like me pretending I was a major league baseball, which is the ultimate thing, kids and creativity. That's where it comes from. But, you know, ghost runners or, you know, who didn't play with ghost runners? So I just have these memories of getting up and getting ready and, you know, uh, putting in my big league chew gum and going down and cranking balls. And, you know, we like we spent more time chasing down the balls that we were using than we did anything and arguing over, which ghost runner was safe and was out, but it was, it was <laughs> the ultimate, got yeah, that. like it was all the ultimate in creativity. So those kind of games, whether it was playing stealing bases or just the organized games with me and my buddies and not a whole lot, no, no coaches, nothing. Like that's what I really loved about being a kid. You could really pretend like every day I thought I was Roger Clemens, right? And I'm going to strike out 20 today. Well, just the the ability to imagine and and you know kind of put yourself in someone else's shoes and and dream and hopes and desires. I got the same type of memories, Dino. Uh, uh, we used to play the pickle game in, in New Brunswick a ton. And what's when the I, pickle game? Pickles. You got uh, you got two defenders. You're using a tennis ball. You got two bases. They're guarding the bases, and you get it's a rundown game. Yeah. Okay. So you get going in a rundown. So you got three or four runners and two guys. Once you get tagged out three times, you're now the defender. Okay. And you flip ball and you keep track of your, your base running totals and you try and get as many yeah. many rips as you can. It's like the stealing bases we played where you the, the runner is on first, you have a second baseman slash shortstop, whatever, yep. pitcher and a catcher. Pitch comes in, and the guy tries off. to steal, and yep. you try to catch him up. I, my, my older brothers would play that game, and I got to be the runner a lot because and I, I that was my favorite game of all time, trying to steal a base because I was – yeah. I've talked about Vince Coleman and the those speedy Cardinals teams that I loved in the eighties. You know, and, and and like the the version we played had the rundown, so you're always trying to get in and out of rundowns, and that's that's kind of what's fun when you're twelve years old. When you get in a rundown, you're trying to get out of it. If you get older, you're not rundowns are to be not able. so much fun, are they, from a manager's point of view? <laughs> well, no, you're not supposed to be able to get out of them, and and when you're trying to get the out and you don't get it, it's a little bit oh, frustrating. Yeah. So we did a ton of those games. Uh, when I was in New Brunswick living in Riverview, we'd play this this backyard type in the field. There was a home play in the second base. You had to go around the bases and score. You know, the tennis ball went a certain distance. It was a home run. You'd be playing two-on-two two or three-on-three, three, sometimes four-on-four. Four. Um, you know, backyard pickup for hours. And that's where you like that's where you fall in love with the game. And um, I played this one game. I, I played a game by myself uh, on the chimney on the side of our house. I'd I found this way. I had this wood bat that I'd gotten. My, my parents had got me this cool wood bat. I, th- I think it's still in their garage. Um, I found a way to bounce the ball off the ground. It would hit the chimney and come back in as a strike in the strike zone. Uh, and, and, you know, I do this by myself for hours. 
and there'd just be this pounding on the side of the, the house so I had to kind of time it when my parents weren't home otherwise they would shut that down pretty quick and I remember my grandma covered for me this one time uh one of the one of the items on the side of the on the wall inside the house you know had, with the vibrations had got knocked down and, and had broken this thing and you know my parents had told me to quit playing this game on the side of the chimney which you know of course I didn't do and 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 uh I just remember my grandma covered for me on this one so uh, thanks to the grandma I appreciate you for that one you know, one of the games that uh, we used to do, like obviously five hundred. Remember five oh, hundred? Yeah. Uh, the kids still love that. You get going. Do, do with they the still right, play? Yeah, that? with the right age group, it's yeah. still you know, still two hundred, yeah, and you yeah. have to catch the pop fly. So that was kind of good. And uh, Chris Kilmery, the the guy I was talking about uh, that lived down the street, we would sit in the backyard and play the games while listening to Jerry Howard through Blue Jays yeah. games. Right, like we had Jays games on. You know, the Expos we didn't get as much in Western Canada, but. We would be listening to Jay's games. Then we would start doing, it was called pitcher and catcher. So the pitcher throws the pitch, and then the catcher uh, decides what's happening. Ground ball, pop up, strikeout, home run, and has to do the play-by-play as well. <laughs> so we would be doing our own. I would be like, he's like, I'd be pitching, and he'd be like, here's Clemens in the stretch, and i throw the pitch, nice. and he'd be like, it's a ground ball. So we would do, like, we would act out things by listening to the radio and doing it. So there's there's so much. And you know, obviously, you're in the backyard with your dad playing catch yeah. or whatever. So. Whipple ball games. Did your did your buddy ever like? Oh, there's another double. That's the fourth double this is. <laughs> no, no, no. I would call him out and yeah. be like, "Hey, dude, hey, come on, man. Yeah, yeah. That your was... team is crushing <laughs> me now, right? Uh, so we played so many make makeshift wiffle ball games here in Edmonton with uh, with my buddies Dan Harris and Jordan Dugas and some of the guys we played, Matty Grossman, some of the guys that we played growing up with. You know, like that tree's a home run. That's right, yeah. And with all the fences, not every community has fences in all their mm-hmm. houses. So you have a built-in ballpark in everybody's backyard. You know, if a ball goes over the fence, obviously it's a bomb. You know, you'd be playing that. Oh, there's so many so many hours spent doing that, you know, torching the backyard grass, get your parents all upset at you. Yeah, we had one area in our backyard where it just we, my dad was resigned to the fact oh, that grass it. was because we played hockey, basketball, baseball. <laughs> yeah. That was like home plate. And he actually set up in our garden because he would get really upset when we went in the garden. He just put broken hockey sticks as a fence around and, uh, you know, solved uh, that problem. So send us your baseball memory. It could be anything, anything to do with the game of baseball to prospectbaseballshow at gmail.com. And you could be watching a game from a suite and taking batting practice before the game. Let's get back to the action. This is the Prospects Baseball Show. We have welcomed another prospect player into the studio. Very excited about this one as uh, Tanner Roundy is joining us, a pitcher and uh, an outfielder as well. Tanner, thanks so much for coming in studio today. Absolutely. Thank you for having me. Uh, okay, so uh, let's. Uh, I just want to find out from you, Jordan, quickly before we dive into Tanner. He's a multi-talented player. Uh, has has pitched in in obviously in college before and pitched a little bit for you. Where do you see him fitting in best? Where does he fit in best for you guys as the prospects? Yeah, good question. Uh, he's really good on the mound, um, but as good as Tanner is on the mound, um, he's one of the best outfielders I've ever coached or seen play the position. Uh, like this is a true center fielder. Uh, when we recruited Tanner, you know, obviously I have a relationship with his his college head coach was was my college head coach, and <clears throat> excuse me, we 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 talked about some of the things that I was looking to do for the the club this summer, and one was speed, one was having guys that could play the outfield because we have the biggest outfield in in the world at uh, Remax Field. So 
Uh, Tanner was somebody we identified early on. Obviously, he had uh, full check marks from from his college coach as a player that we should pursue for sure. And um, I, I think Tanner probably would like to pitch a little bit more. He's really good on the mound, and and um, he's just so darn good in the outfield that it's tough to find him innings on the mound because we trust like the trust level is is through the roof. You couldn't trust the player more than you trust Tanner. Uh, which is as good a compliment as, as I think a player can receive. And Tanner plays the game the right way, which is the other compliment you want to give a player is that he's just always ready to go and, and he gives you gives you what he has. And, you know, those guys, those type of guys, uh, you know, playing every day are really important for the young guys uh, to, to see. Uh, we've got some young guys that, that have definitely learned from just watching Tanner play the game. So uh, we'll probably see him on the mound here again at some point. Um uh, but to to date, uh, Tanner's locked down center field for us, and uh, like I said, the Gold Glove is, is the caliber defender he is, and, and the bat's coming around too. So, um, yeah, dangerous player, and and uh, one of the other attributes that Tanner brings to the ball club is, is uh, an ability to steal bases. Um, uh, just just a smart base runner, uh, somebody that uh, knows how to get good jumps, create opportunities for himself, which obviously helps our ball club. Uh, score runs and win games so um yeah just a pleasure to coach and and we're really grateful to have tanner with us this summer so you're from henderson nevada i am yes that's uh how far away from vegas would you say uh 10, 15 oh so a bit of a yeah. suburb then kind of like st albert to uh yeah. edmonton here same exact idea uh so tell us about uh you know pitching playing the outfield have, have you done both all your life and uh, are you ready to kind of uh, almost specialize at some point or you like keeping the options open um i've so throughout high school i did both i would pitch and hit and then uh freshman year i was actually a po and then uh at the end of my freshman year i told my coach i'd like to play the field so the next year i ended up doing nothing but playing right field and then uh, my junior year i basically just played the outfield for jamestown and then uh, my senior year i got to do both a little bit so that was nice again i got to start on the mound and the outfield what do you like more Pitching, I do. I like You're just more active, right? Yeah, it, I like being involved in every pitch of the game, so that's something I like. So, what do you think you're better at? Um, I personally, I love the outfield. I mean, that's really what makes me, you know, like to be a hitter. Is I love to be out there in the outfield and have my pitchers know that anything that goes up in the air is getting caught. So, excellent. Uh, well, obviously, Jordan, it's just great to have that uh, options uh, yeah. when you when you need to. Would you ever say outfielder, you know, uh, eight to one here, you're, you're going into pitch and, and I guess there's rules in as far as warm up, just like every other pitcher. Um, would you go to him from the field to the mound? Yeah. It's something that we would consider something that Tanner's done in the past. Um, you know, maybe it's not ideal, uh, and we would want to try and plan a little bit of forewarning to Tanner so he can get on the mound and touch it a little bit and get the, get the feel for the release point and whatnot. Um, however, Tanner's the type of guy that's probably warm and can come right in from the outfield. Um, it's not something that we want to do that way, but you know where it could come into play, Dino, is we've had some extra inning games this year mm -hmm. where Tanner became more of an option as we got going that, you know, at circumstantially, we had some guys in the bullpen, um, extend and do really well. So we didn't need to get a long guy, which Tanner could throw nine innings. Um, so that was an option to perhaps kill our designated hitter, bring the eight spot, which is a center fielder, onto the mound, and then put someone in to the game in the DH spot in the batting order to fill the eight hole. Tanner would be at the one. So 
Um, for sure, it's an option, and, and I, I, I kind of feel for Tanner because he, he's really good on the mound. Um, if he wasn't so darn good in the outfield, he'd pitch more. So what's that like for you when you're, you know, you're in center field, which is, um, you know, you're reacting at everything, and there's a lot of downtime to think a lot, and then you got to get into the mode of, oh, I'm the guy who starts every play by throwing it. It it's, must be a totally different mentality to have to get into. Um, yeah, I'd say, I mean, pitching it, you have to be locked in, I'd say, a lot more every pitch, you know, consistently. And then the outfield, I, I do my best to really – uh, I mean, I focus in the big thing that I see is like in the outfield, I love to read like guys swings. So a lot of the time I'll know where the ball is going to go off their bat before they even hit the ball. So that's a big thing on that is once I can get a good feel for that, I can just kind of chill out in the outfield. Is that from pitching that you can, you can pick that up or um, just studying game? I think just, just some watching the game from center field so much. I've, I've gotten to learn guys pass and where the ball is going to fly off the bat before it's really even hit. So. Well, I always say in hockey, the reason there are so many good and the, the best color analysts are goaltenders is that in net, you see the whole play develop, right? And same thing in center field. You, like you said, you can tell uh, where that ball is going to go. Uh, you can tell by the position of your fielders whether they're going to – because it's, it's wide open for you. So it, it might be the best view of the game from a player's perspective, even better than a catcher because the catcher, you're blocked out a little bit. Oh yeah, I, that's another thing I love is I love being able to to watch the pitchers throw their game as well. I get to see their pitches, how they're moving, everything. It's awesome. I love it. So when I was a kid and I was bored in hockey games, I would do play by play. Do you ever do play by play? Do you talk to yourself? <laughs> like how do you entertain yourself out in center field? Uh, no, I don't. I don't really talk to myself. Uh, I'll mess around with the outfielders a lot and whatnot, and then same with little Javier. I've gotten to get know him pretty well, so I mess with him a lot out there. So, so you guys just yell back and forth, sign language. Like, what's the what's the the method of communication that you guys use? Yeah, I just yell back and forth, and then I I also try to keep the outfielders up to or let them know what pitch is coming too, because sometimes I can see him from the catcher. So, oh, that's that's obviously uh, can can be helpful. Communication as a as a whole, you guys seem to be uh, have have a pretty good. Uh, handle on that and uh, Tanner seems to be one of those guys that's leading that charge especially on a team where not a lot of guys know each other unless you're from the Washington State area or you go to <laughs> Yale <laughs> yeah no kidding hey um well you, you like you hope that your center fielder is the quarterback of the defense out there um we're blessed uh, we're blessed with this outfield uh T Tanner patrols center field in the gaps and and really doesn't have to do a ton of work in the right center gap because Travis Hunt's out there and he's a ball hog, so he tries to get everything that should be Tanner's, knowing that Tanner can get it anyway. And then we've got Pierce playing a lot in left field with a couple other players, Jake McDonald and, and a new player, Zach Thomas. Um, Pierce is lightning. You know, he's the fastest human on the planet type guy, and um, he can pretty much get to anything. Uh, it, it's cool to see the contrast. You know, Tanner's done this longer than Pierce, and, and – um, I mean, if I were Pierce, just kind of watching how Tanner goes to balls and the reads he gets and, and his ability to track things down, I would hopefully it would rub off on me. As, as, and I think it has for Pierce. Um, and to have a calming influence for Pierce beside him, a veteran player that's done this before and, and knows how to make plays, knows how to read swings, uh, I think that's huge for Pierce, who I think eventually will get an opportunity in center field in, in his college baseball career. Um, his, his tool tools are there for that um but yeah to have tanner out there kind of directing traffic coming in on balls being able to go deep into the gaps and whatnot 
I think that uh, over the course of the year, they've been able to develop uh, communication and chemistry. You know, after you get a feel for what each other's capable of doing, um, you can play to those strengths. So balls that get dumped in over the infield, they know they've got guys that are really aggressive coming in. So our infielders aren't pressed to have to make all those plays. Um, a couple balls have fallen in, unfortunately, for us, and, and sometimes you just got to chalk that up to they hit them where they ain't. Texas and, leaguers, and right? you can't get there. Uh, but, shoot, you know, if if you can get there, our old field's getting there, and Tanner's the leader of that pack. Well, speed in the uh, center field position yeah. and, and such a wide um, part of the field to cover, and obviously speed on, on the base pass, then uh, you know I'm a, a fan of uh, stolen bases. That's what we recruited the team for you, Dino. <laughs> That's right. I really appreciate you doing that. So you're uh, fifth in the league in stolen bases. Uh, second on the team behind Travis Hunt, uh, also uh, a guest on this show. Do you guys have a little uh, internal contest competition to see who's going to swipe the most bags? Um, we haven't really talked about it. Uh, my plan's actually to lead the whole league. So nice. I mean, my bat's been struggling or struggled a little bit early, so it's kind of hard to get him going. But uh, and my plan's to run him back up there and try to take that over. So tell me about the uh, the mentality of a, a base stealer. Um, you know, like, and, and Jordan, you would know this as I've talked about it. My MLB, the show career, <laughs> I steal every base I can. Like, I get, I, I sometimes I don't even take second on a double because I want to rack up my stolen bases. <laughs> as a speed demon, do you, like, when you get on base, is it like, okay, I want to steal? Or are you like, okay, I got to know the right situation. I got to listen to my coach. But is it your, uh, like, Willie Mays Hayes from Major League? Like, I'm going to steal every base I can? Or how do you approach it? Because I would want to steal every time I could. I mean, I'm, I'd say I'm, I'm kind of like that. I, every time I get on base, I'm looking to get to third base as quick as possible. Right. So that's, that's normally what my plan is. Um, it's been, I'm not the fastest guy in the world, but I'm big on getting good reads. And, and I mean, pitchers aren't the smartest sometimes. So really, they, they'll they'll give you, you know, a way to steal base on them most of the time. So We've talked about that in the past. It's not always the fastest guy. Obviously, you know, there, there are uh, exceptions to that. And, and speed is an important part. But you can steal bases without being super fast, Jordan. It's smart base running. Why is Tanner a smart base runner? Um... You know, like, and this has been fun for me because I take pride in the, in that part of the, the game. Um, being able to, it helps create runs. So um, I got a chance to see Tanner play play live in March down in Tucson on a recruiting trip. And, and um, it was funny, as Tanner said, sometimes pitchers aren't the smartest. Uh, it didn't take me very long to understand that he is a guy that's probably going to try and steal a base. Uh, and for whatever reason, part of, part of the game it gets overlooked sometimes with programs is attention to detail on on the base paths. And and I think Tanner's developed his own chemistry and system of what he needs to see to go, or what he's looking for to say yes or no on a particular play. Um, we've given him the ability to play the game on his own, um, tr- completely trust his reads and decisions. Um, so. And it's tough for me as a coach who's doing third base or any third base coach to, I've always found like putting pressure on guys by giving them the steal sign, hey, we're stealing right now. Um, it kind of takes away the, 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 the point of the game uh, as far as, you know, you're looking for certain reads and, and things change. By the time I've given the steal sign, they may be looking to do something different and now I've put my player in a position to fail potentially uh, based on, you know, they might slide step or they might long hold and really try and freeze him. 
Um, and I want my, my base runners, especially uh, that part of the game, to have the ability to make decisions and make good decisions, and I trust them to make the good decisions, to go when they think they can and then to shut it down when they can't. And Tanner's showing that this year that um, he'll make good decisions on balls that he thinks that he can take, on pitches that he thinks he can steal a base. And I've also seen him not go based on him not feeling it. And it's a real big feel thing to, to get the right jump and the right rhythm off the pitcher and which you're studying all game. So you're trying to compile information. I know Tanner's a student of the game, so um, as other guys get on base, he's formulating a plan over here to, to start stealing bags. And um, it's fun to watch. You know, it's, it's fun to watch. It's an element to, to our ball club that uh, I think is, is the most exciting part of what we do is we, we like to rip bags, and Tanner's the leader of the pack on that. A lot of people say the game slows down for them. The game literally slows down in MLB The Show when you want to steal a base. So it's really easy for me to steal a base. What are you watching for? I don't, I, you, I don't want you to give away all the trade secrets, <laughs> yeah, but yeah. what Careful are some here. common things that, that uh, pitchers do that maybe a batter picks up on? Is there, is there something that almost every pitcher does, not all the time, but that you can see? Um, so the main ones on first base, uh, I mean, they're timed to home plate. If it's anything above a one, three, I know that I can get to, to second base for sure. Um, and if they don't have a good pick move, you can get that extra step or two as well. So that's, that's another advantage. And then, uh, on second base, I'm a big look guy. So like however many times they look, once they, once they look home, normally I have a head start. So I take a good little jump and get going. How much are you studying pitchers before you're at bat, before you get on base? Um, you know, uh, remembering from the last time you might have faced this guy, you got a pretty good mind for that. Oh uh, yeah, I I try to I try to do my best to get with the guy, the other base dealers on the team, and for instance, the guy that got on first base or second base before me, and you know mm. get with them and talk to them and see what they saw, what how was his pick move, you know how could you could you read him easy to home stuff like that. You must love the aggressiveness uh, mm -hmm. for your team. I mean, uh, the, the it sounds like the green light is there quite a bit. Yeah, you know, you got to make the right decision, but. Having a coach trust you that much and be as aggressive as, as Jordan lets you guys be, that has to be very intriguing to a guy that can use that to his advantage on the base path. Oh, yeah, it was awesome. I mean, when I – so the beginning of this season, he actually told me that I basically had the green light whenever I wanted to go, which was awesome, and I appreciated that. And him trusting me to be able to, you know, know when to go, know when not to go, and, and just come in and run the bases as free as possible, so – Good stuff. Jordan, what do you want to uh, chat with uh, Tanner about? Yeah, well, let's, uh, you know, Tanner's from Henderson, and, and uh, you know, I think we should probably bring this story up um, with what's happened with uh, Tyler Skaggs and somebody close to people in the in the mm -hmm. sport, uh, you know, passing away. Um, you know, Tanner, um, if you're willing to share a little bit about um, how special uh, your first game after what happened in Las Vegas a couple years ago was, I, I know we kind of spoken to your dad through this your dad actually uh submitted that as a, a memory in our uh, baseball memories contest it's yeah. very touching and we'll maybe we'll let you take over and uh and give us the rundown of what happened um it was so let's see i mean it was pretty crazy honestly me and my roommate were um laying in bed when it all first happened like it started happening and uh we were just sitting there and then like i saw a shooting in vegas and i was like oh, that's that's pretty crazy like let me look into this and then I saw how crazy and like actually pretty serious it was so I actually took to Twitter to see like what's going on who's where who's safe who's going on and then uh, one of my buddies said something about something Q like you know uh, get better Q or something so I started looking into that heavily because Q was Quentin and uh, 
I found out that he had been shot, didn't know much about it, and I was actually up all night just trying to figure it out until I finally found out. I can't remember what time I found out, but at that point, I we had the game that day, so like my focus was really like do my best to, you know, I wanted to play that night. I wanted to go, you know, I think it helped me forget about it, help me, you know, help the team out. I think it'd be just be a really cool thing. So I, uh, yeah, I got like a half an hour nap and went to the field and just kind of rolled the balls out and played. So, and something pretty impressive happened, um, you know, as your dad eloquently penned in a in an email to our show. Um, you, you know, you lose one of your best friends in a in a very public shooting and, and situation. Um, and you decide to play that night, which, you know, I think your, your friend probably would have been like, yeah, go out there and play. And something pretty special happened in your first at bat. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I mean, it was the one that I was telling myself to breathe. I mean, that was a big one. I was like, just breathe, slow down, like just, just go play, breathe. And I walked up to the plate and got a fastball right down the middle. And I honestly don't remember really the swing. I don't remember the bases. I, the first thing I honestly think I remember is, uh, about when I was starting to touch home right around there. And then I was greeted by actually another friend for another friend on the team from Vegas who also, you know, was, he just woke up to all the craziness and having friends be there and stuff like that. So it was, it was a pretty special moment. Yeah. Th- those are the moments. And you, you look back to, uh, what happened on, uh, the Tyler Skaggs tribute night. And, uh, th- there are, there are people moving pieces around because, uh, you know, your first college home run, uh, the day after one of your great friends unfortunately perishes, um, and that that there's got to be something uh, about that. Like you, you don't know what you don't even remember the at bat or what you were thinking and things like that. And uh, you hit a home run, and uh, obviously a, a tribute to your uh, to your fallen friend. Oh yeah, I mean I'm not. I was not, I was not a home run hitter. I think I don't even think I when I hit home runs they're normally not pull. So that was another thing is. It's probably the farthest ball I've ever hit, and it was a pull home run, which doesn't happen as well. So there's a lot of different things that went into that. And, I mean, the other night when the Skaggs thing happened, I, I really – I mean, it didn't like, – I was sitting there, and I think someone said, oh, like the Angels are throwing a no-hitter in the fifth or whatever, and it, it really didn't surprise me. I mean, it's, it's crazy how special things like that happen and everything like that goes on. So There's a little help. You know, Quinn was help, maybe helping that ball over the field, and you know Tyler Skaggs was – uh, guiding some of those pitches in on uh, Friday night. Yeah, it's something to think about, uh, like the, the higher power element to this game. And, and really appreciate you opening up there, Tanner. Um, you know, obviously, I know it's not a, a, a great thing to talk about sometimes. Um, like Dino had mentioned, your dad wrote uh, an unbelievable letter about that. And uh, f- for me, um, I, I was aware of what was going on um, because of my relationship with with uh tanner's old program and, and my old program and yeah i got i got i don't know if i've told tanner this because you didn't really want to bring it up but uh thought today was probably appropriate like it brought tears to my eyes when i saw the video of what tanner had done um you know just watching from afar being a fan of of you know my alma mater and and caring about the players there without knowing them that's kind of the, the family atmosphere that coach hager has created over the years with the alumni and you know it was it, it was uh special to see and then to get to meet Tanner and know him on a personal level um yeah just a really special moment it 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 just there's something about the game man do you know like the game like with the Skaggs thing and and D Gordon after Jose Fernandez hitting the home run and and um 
I mean, there, there's there's a few different instances where it just seems like divine intervention has, has come into play. The power of this sport to bring people together, to, to bring communities together, to provide friendships and, and experience and knowledge, like our guys sharing things with kids on the field on Sundays. Um, we had kids in the clubhouse the other night signing autographs. These guys, Tanner included, are just can't wait to like help a kid out yeah i'll sign that hey come on over here hey right here uh, he'll sign this um it's a it's a kid's game i think that you know we can get pretty intense about things and and start caring about things uh, a little bit too heavy and a little bit too much and and you get in the heat of the moment of a competition uh, but when you when you kind of step back and look at what all the good things about this sport can bring to a family to a group of players to a community um you know and and Tanner's the perfect example of of you know first class people and and what that does to your ball baseball program what he's brought to the prospects what he brought to the University of Jamestown and uh, you know baseball's given him a lot it's given him an opportunity to showcase his talents um, as a baseball player but also as a human the the talents of being a good person caring about people uh, baseball's been able to afford Tanner the opportunity to do that all over North America, you know, in North Dakota, in California, in Nevada, in the state of Washington, in Alberta and Edmonton. Um, you know, he's got friends all over the, all over North America. His roommate is from Winnipeg, uh, at school. Um, you know, his roommate here is his buddy from Henderson, Nevada that came up with him this summer. So the game touches so many people and, and it's such a big game, but it's so small. The community ends up being super small at the end of the day. And, um, just really cool, a really cool thing that uh, Tanner was able to do there. How big's uh, Henderson, Nevada? Um, I'm, I think it's around two hundred fifty thousand. Okay, so pretty big <laughs> suburb then. A uh, little bit bigger than St. Albert yeah, uh, to to Edmonton. I, I've never been to Vegas. I'm the one guy that's uh, never been to Vegas. But um, the GM of the Golden Knights is a good friend of mine, so I nice. plan on uh, going to watch a, a game there. And I do have a uh, uh, Las Vegas 51s hat. A friend of mine oh, picked go. one up. So <laughs> w did you go to a lot of 51 games as a kid? Uh, surprisingly not. I actually didn't go to a lot of games. Uh, the times I would go to the games would be when you knew a big, like a big leaguer was going to be down there for mm -hmm. like a spring training or like not a spring A stint, training, rehab stint yeah, kind of thing? rehab thing. So you'd go watch them and whatnot. But I really didn't go to too many of those games. But I mean, they're they're pretty cool, and they just re-upped it, and I think there there's a brand new stadium and awesome. everything too. So, so who do you watch? Um, you know, do you, you do you study? Do you watch Major League ba Baseball games and uh, you know study different guys, whether it's their swing or their the jump on the ball they get in, in the outfield? Are you a guy that learns from watching? Um, a little bit, yeah. I I watch as much baseball as possible. Um, I one of, one of my roommates was a Dodgers fan, so I mean, I've I. I grew up water the last there was two years where I watched every single Dodger game that happened and I, I try to watch and learn as much as possible and but I really I just try to enjoy the game when I watch it and whatnot and enjoy you know what's going on within the game I could live with that guy for sure we, we would be <laughs> uh, good good teammates uh, what about uh, minor baseball uh, do you want to jump into a little uh, growing up baseball yeah, with Tanner? yeah well let's let's uh, touch on Tanner uh, kind of what it was like to, to grow up you played a lot with Trevor Berg one of the pitchers on our ball club and um, I know you had a, a pretty good youth baseball team growing up can you tell us a little bit about maybe what what it was like uh, in Little League and then up through up until kind of the college recruiting process started 
Uh, yeah, I've I've played with Trevor since you know we picked up the ball in Little League. Basically, him and a couple other there's we actually had another friend up here this weekend with us that we had played with him since he picked up the baseball and it was pretty it was pretty sweet little setup. We're all this little community in Henderson. We're all pretty close, and so we've grown up. We played Little League together, played high school together, and then I even got uh, the chance. So me and the four other seniors on my high school team actually all got recruited to the same exact junior college. So we all five of us went to the same junior college, got a chance to play together there as well. So I mean, we've we've stayed close, stayed in touch. It's it's been an awesome experience growing up with all these guys and seeing where they end up and whatnot. So. Do like the Fab Five for Michigan without the the, the timeout called by Chris <laughs> Weber, right? What uh, was there a couple big games? You guys had a couple state championships on the line there back in the day. Uh, yeah, I actually Trevor's the lucky one. He got the good group because uh, <laughs> I my group would always we'd always get to that that last game that last this game to get to somewhere and we'd always you know we were so close we'd always lose it and then Trevor's group was the group that actually well, they won two state championships they won a national championship so. Is is it's pretty crazy that he he got to experience a lot of things, but also we did too. We we won a couple you know tournaments here and there and whatnot, but it was it was cool. We got to go a lot of places and play a lot of different you know games. So speaking of games, Jordan and I in our baseball memory segment today, we're talking about uh, you know games that we made up uh, as a kid. Uh, you know, you grew up with those five guys. Uh, what about a, away from actual organized baseball? Were you guys? always doing different things like, you know, the stealing bases, the ghost runners, kind of that thing. And, and are those some of the things that you, you know, you rem- remember the best, just hanging out with your buddies, making up games? Uh, so, well, it's funny you actually said the Fab Five. A girl at our junior college actually nicknamed us the Fab Five nice. when we were there. But, uh, yeah, a blitz ball is a big thing. Like, that first came out when I was, I don't even want to, like around 10 to 12, What's I'd imagine. What's blitz ball? It's like this little uh, yellow ball that like moves a ton. Like so, you throw a curveball and it, it breaks, you know, ten feet. Wow! If you're, if you're far enough away, so like that was a big one. We'd find one of my buddies had a big old backyard. We'd go back there and set up a little net and and play some blitz ball. So that's cool, blitz ball. That's the only way I could ever get any kind of movement on any uh, pitch <laughs> I would ever throw. Um, as we mentioned your dad wrote uh, a really nice email. He, I think he was recently just up. He was he had emailed me because he actually was going to come to our fan appreciation game. But he was nice enough to um, you know meet somebody in Edmonton and pass on uh, his tickets for that event to them. He seems like a really and I'm sure your mom as well really big supporters and um, you know uh, a, a guy that you've you know maybe grew up playing catch with and remember them, some of those days as well. Absolutely, it's been awesome. They've they've taken care of me uh, greatly. I mean, they've everything I've really ever needed. They've they've been there to help out with. And uh, he, growing up, I did. I play a lot of catch. There's parks right down the way. We do all that. Uh, lately, his arm has been struggling, so we never really do that <laughs> as much. But uh, yeah, it's been awesome. They've everything I've ever needed. He's coached a lot of my teams. Assistant coached a lot of my teams growing up and. So it's been really awesome to have him around as well. And, I mean, the same with my mom. My mom would even go out and play. If I needed to play catch, she'd grab a glove and go out and play catch or do whatever she needed to do as well. That's so. awesome. What did you know about Edmonton before you came here, and what do you think of Edmonton since you've been here? Uh, I didn't really know much about Edmonton at all, actually. Uh, my college coach had mentioned it, that it was an option for me, so I, I started looking into it a little bit more and whatnot. But I've, I've loved it here since I've been here. You know, it's awesome. They take care of you greatly, you know. Anything you really need here as well, they, they take care of, and, you know, it's nice. It's been a really nice little setup. Well, it's – and the the really nice thing lately is that, uh, you know, you – you know, before you probably thought the sun was a rumor, 
in uh, Edmonton. <laughs> and, and now we actually, the sun does shine uh, in Edmonton playing at Remax Field. I know some of the guys we brought in here say that they, they you know they got the video from Jordan about the field on Canada Day and uh, you know really excited them and uh, you know when when there's people at that ballpark it's pretty cool. Oh yeah, it's it's amazing when you can get uh, the sun came out and it uh, people showed up this weekend and it was awesome. Uh, it's really nice, you know, the sun I think the sun will bring out a lot more people over the summer as it goes, but uh, it's it's a great field, amazing atmosphere. The fans, I mean, whenever you make a big play, it it gets pretty loud in there it's pretty sweet so and good hecklers yes very good that that is consistent it's it's that's pretty good stuff <laughs> that is consistent we we're gonna have to get the heckler in here oh, that, like which that one which okay one, like, it changes every there's game. there's one guy there with is. a young son that yeah. uh, comes that's really he i think he was wearing jake gary's uh, jersey oh, the one yeah. time or something like that uh, so th- that's your your marketing staff need to track that guy down <laughs> and uh, get him on this show because that that guy would be a good guest yeah, he'd be coming in here heckling Tanner right, right now. Yeah, right now as he was doing it, yeah. <laughs> what, do you, you know, as a baseball player, you're in the dugout. You have a lot of time, whether you're home or away. You guys listen. You know, there's, there's you know, legends of the hijinks that go on. But just listening, uh, you're chuckling. When you're at, the, when you're at bat and, and a pitch goes by, you, you're laser focused, but do you still hear the heckler in between pitches? And do you, do you try not to <laughs> chuckle sometimes? Um, so... Sometimes I'll hear him, sometimes I don't. On the mound, I normally I, I will hear him a couple times and stuff. But uh, at the plate, I've actually been chirped at home a couple times too. It's pretty funny. I, I enjoy wow, it personally. Yeah. I love it. I mean, it, it makes it fun. It honestly makes it way more fun. I mean, I, I can do nothing but laugh. I mean, what you know, they're there enjoying the game. Creativity, just a right? Fun, if they have so, some creativity, oh, yeah. you know, the the usual stuff is like whatever. But the creative ones is like, okay, I'll give you that. That oh, was a good yeah. one. <laughs> yeah, sometimes you just you you have to just give it to them, and it, they they get you a couple times, and it's pretty funny. So good stuff, uh, Tanner. Thanks so much for joining us uh, in studio, and uh, best of luck the rest of the way. Thank you, I appreciate it. Thanks for having me. Play ball. Take me out to the ball game. Take me out with the crowd. Buy me some peanuts and crackers. Want two tickets to an upcoming prospects game? Get your thinking ball caps on and answer this baseball trivia question. If they don't win, it's a shame. For it's one, two, three strikes, you're out at the old ball game. Wonderful uh, rendition of uh, Take Me Out to the Ball Game from Christine Bandalo. Uh, her husband, Kevin Dabbs, also part of uh, voicing all of our podcasts. And uh, we just had a great conversation with uh, outfielder uh, Tanner Roundy. And we were talking about games. He had uh, some games that they played as well. Uh, so all comes full circle. Glad to hear that kids, uh, you know, hopefully are still doing I don't see as much street hockey as I uh, certainly used to growing up. So I hope kids are still playing a lot of different games. Um, we want to take you out to a prospect game with Take Me Out to the Ball Game Trivia. And a little bit later, we're going to be talking about uh, DH and who is the best DH of all time and who are our favorite DHs. So we thought designated hitter would be a good uh, jumping off point for Take Me Out to the Ball Game Trivia. David Ortiz, Big Poppy, holds the record for most home runs by a DH. Who is number two? He's actually a guy we talked about last week on this show. And uh, maybe next week when we give out that answer, We'll discuss that a little bit more. Last week's trivia answer, in which you nailed. It was not a guess, as you said. You nailed it. <laughs> in which city was the first All-Star game played? It was Chicago on July 6, 1933, which is weird 
they didn't have an all-star game till 33. So that means um, the the one season that people consider the greatest team of all time, the 27 Yankees, they didn't get to play an all-star game. The the A's from Philadelphia in 1929, which is another team that another season that people think is maybe the greatest team of all time. So not till uh, 1933 was the first all-star game. <sighs> it's fantasy time. Fantasy baseball, that is. Who needs to be in your lineup? And who shouldn't? We've got the latest info to help you dominate your league. Bumgarner's 1-0. Bellinger swings. High drive. Center field. At the wall. Grand slam. Cody Bellinger. It's go time. So fantasy baseball this week is the long week when it comes to uh, Major League Baseball. And kind of interesting. It's really neat to see that I get two starts from almost every pitcher. You should probably get two starts from every pitcher. Um, this is a really this could be a, like a make or break week for a lot of people because the playoffs are uh, you know approaching fast. You, you never want to have your playoffs on in a garbage week, right? The last week, uh, like our our championship in most of our leagues ends before the playoffs start. Yeah, right. Uh, the last month, I've got six weeks left. We play the last month of September is your playoffs, right? I'm I'm fighting right now. Do you know I've got I'm up against a six seed. I'm hanging in there. Or no, sorry, uh, the the four seed. Um, I'm in ninth. I've been better. My my team's been better. I've had a couple winning weeks in a row. I'm up against a, a tough com- com- competitor, tough teamer this week. Um, but with this extended week, who knows? We're not even. You know the numbers are going to be astronomical through the the ten day week. So we'll see what happens. I find like the the. The, the head-to-head matchup doesn't even get going until Saturday. The Saturday-Sunday games, you know, they, they really bridge the gap. Um, the fifth seed and the sixth seed, which are the last two playoff spots right now, I'm doing some scoreboard watching, are not having a good week. It's early, but things are looking good. So if I'm not able to win this week, but I keep it right about 500, 50-50, like a 6-6 six and six on the scoring, if those other guys don't do well, I could still maybe make up a couple games, which I need to do. I thought uh, I thought I was gonna be like uh, you know I'm right now I'm in fourth and we have six weeks to go as well, so I'm in the final playoff spot in my division. Uh, the uh, it's the Great White North Baseball League. I'm in the Bob McKenzie, oh, and yeah. uh, the other division is the Doug. Doug. Yeah. So anyway, I'm uh, your American players are like who the hell yeah, are they talking no about? Anyway, I'm in the uh, the one division. I'm in fourth right now, and I am like. Six and a half games out of getting into the third, and for some reason, the third place team and we play in back, we play each other back to back weeks. So I could easily move into third in that situation. So where I was thinking, like, is it going to be like sell off? And I'm not going to sell off. I'm not going to crazy load up. And I know that goes against like a little bit of my philosophy. Yeah, I'm going to tinker. I'm yeah. going to, but I'm not going to like, I'm not throwing out my next five draft picks for a guy. My next for a five rounder. So I'm going to tinker and and add something that might help me but but still knowing i have a nod to next year so i'm kind of like i'm kind of like you're riding the fence after no after... no i'm gonna i'm gonna add something i'm just not gonna like uh, not mortgage i'm not going after <laughs> the the number one pitcher because i think my team just has to get healthy so so rather than hit hit the uh, marketplace and just spend willy-nilly 
You're you're looking for thrifty yeah. buys. I'm gonna sh- look for the the next logs. Mike Fires. <laughs> yeah. You finally Dude, picked that guy up, that. man. I've been preaching that all year. He he might turn into the most valuable. Uh, I bet you if you looked at a lot of leagues at the start of the year, he wasn't owned, and uh, yep. now he's oh. got he's owned in every league. Well, like he might now. be the most valuable pickup in Major League Baseball Un- this year. Unreal, like what he's been doing. And the A's are playing well. Yep. Like they're they're they've got a lot of people excited again. So the last month. He has a 109 ERA, yeah. a 103 whip. Like those are that unheard. is ridiculous. Like, it is ridiculous. 33 innings. He's just he's on fuego. He's on fire. I appreciate that. I appreciate the peer pressure there, Dino. I picked him up. Got a good start. Who knows? That may be what helped propel me into the playoffs. And you just need to get in in fantasy baseball because anybody can get hot in any week. Doesn't matter how good your team is. You know, if you have a couple guys go cold and the other guy goes hot. You're done. Okay, so here's something we haven't done in this uh, fantasy baseball segment, but I have two trade offers that have just come in. Okay, I like this. So Mike Fire, some guy wants Mike Fire, and this is a guy I've done Never. some. De- this is the, this is the team I got Trevor Sto- or uh, Max Muncie yeah. uh, from, um, and they want Mike Fires, and they're only offering a fifth round pick. And fifth round's an actual fifth. It's not a keeper, so it's not. Yeah, it's a uh, now. Yeah, the fifth pick. The fifth round. Yeah, so it's like 20 picks. Yeah, there's 16, or not uh, 16. Anyway, the reason it's he's deep. Do, yeah, it's it's a lot of picks. Mike Fires will be, have an expiring contract. Now, as smart as I was to pick him up, I wasn't smart enough to sign him to longer than a one-year deal because I, I, ha- I had some contract yeah, issues. Yeah. So he's offering me a fifth because he's only going to get Fires uh, for down the road. Uh, Dallas Keuchel, who I had at the start of the year, and I've just been waiting for him to get back, and and now obviously is. He has a. Oh, so this is interesting. I thought Keuchel was longer. He only has a one-year deal, and I've re-signed him once already, so he automatically goes back. Like this guy could trade for Mike Fires and re-sign him. Yeah. Dallas Keuchel, I can't, and the other team is offering me a second-round pick. Which pitcher would you rather have down the stretch, Dallas Keuchel or Mike Fires? The way you know Keuchel is just getting back and might not hit his uh, peak until near the end of the season and going into the playoffs, which is what his actual Major League Baseball team wants. Yep. But I think you're going to get more out of Mike Fires down the stretch than you are out of Dallas Keuchel. What do you think, dude? That's a tough one. It's a coin flip. Like how long can Mike Fires pitch like this? I mean, he's at times throughout his career has been. Two no hitters, one yeah, this I mean, year. He's, he's at times in streaks has been, you know, dang near unhittable, as you know, evidenced by the two no hitters. Um, you know, Keuchel upside, like Keuchel's not what he was three four years ago. Um, he's on a team that's going to win games, so it's fires. Their their teams are winning games. Um, they can both go late into the game. They both have low whip. Like I had Keuchel for years. This was a year I didn't protect him, and he went back in the draft because of the contract situation and everything. Dude, I don't know what to, I I don't know. Well, don't it doesn't know. matter. I rejected both trades no, anyway because I'm keeping those guys because I want to win in the playoffs. Well, I'm I not going to value if you were dealing them. I take the second round pick, obviously. Yeah, if if I was going to do one, I'm not trading fire. I'm not giving away fires who's on fire for a fifth round pick. No. But I'm not going to win in the playoffs if I trade those two guys. I still have a little bit of depth, but um, I, I'm not I'm not making those. You know, if if you're sweetening the offer to first round picks, then I might listen because then, then I'm like, okay, it. I could still make the playoffs, but I might not win. So well, like the draft is just like every other draft; it's a coin flip. Mm-hmm. You know, the fifth round, the second round, like who who's available? You might take you know Jose Altuve 
and he ends up being hurt for half the year. Yep. So it's like you got a chance to win now. You go for it. All right. To drop us a line at Prospects Pod on Twitter uh, with your fantasy questions, concerns, or uh, smart remarks. The pitch. There's a long one to right field. Forget about it. This one is headed for New Jersey. High into the upper deck. Barry Bonds with a spectacular three-run homer. Who is the best left fielder of all time? How about your favorite shortstop ever? What a double play by Ozzie Smith. Oh, mercy. It's time to build your all-time team. All right, we're talking DH today, and uh, this is how it works for all-time team, is uh, you submit your list for what you think is the best player at each position, or your favorite player at each position, or both. You can send in two lists if you want. Uh, Jordan and I have been doing our teams one position at a time, but send yours in all at once. So every position player, including obviously the uh, starting pitcher, uh, we're going to do a relief pitcher and a DH as well. So there is 11 players that you have to have. And if you are successful, you will be joining us at the Winter Banquet. We'll have tickets available. And there'll be one winner for the favorite team and one winner for the best team, depending on which list you send in. So email us at prospectsbaseballshow at gmail.com. And tell us who is on your all-time team. And we're doing DH. That means we only have one position or two positions left. And we saved our starting and relief pitchers for the last two. And starting pitcher is going to be the hardest, uh, oh. I think. Uh, I think relief pitcher, um, you know, maybe difficult depending on what area you come from. But uh, starting pitcher is going to be. It's going to be so hard to pick out my favorite starting pitcher as well because. Yeah. There's been so many great ones. But let's talk DH, designated hitter. And I'll let you go first with who do you think was the best designated hitter of all time? I'll do my best, and then we'll get in our favorites. So who was the greatest DH of all time? I got Big Poppy. The uh, the era that he did it in was, you know, right as I was, you know, in love with the game. Uh the clutch home runs at Yankee Series, the World Series, bringing help bringing the the Red Sox out of the curse. Um, you know that one series where he, he had multiple late inning home runs. The the one day it was already after midnight, so he had two game winning home runs on the same day. Um, the consistency, uh, the the presence at the plate. I really love the presence of the lefty, and I was a left handed hitter, so I'm always uh, always uh, a little bit partial to. To picking the guys that swing left-handed, the majestic home runs, um, like I said, the presence of Poppy when he run around in the bases, the smile. Um, <laughs> yeah, he know, was like he was infectious, jovial. Right? You know, just somebody like it looks like you want to be around. You know, Big Poppy and you know what he meant to that community. You know, the like the the Boston area, the Boston strong stuff that happened. Another you know tragic thing that you know he kind of. Um, em- embrace the role of, of doing whatever he could to inspire the community that was, you know, at a loss and was hurting. Um, you know, that was a cool moment to watch, honestly. Uh, uh, coming from the heart again, you know, and the, and the power of what baseball is. And, and for me, the, you know, Big Poppy kind of embodies that, you know, with the smile and, and you know, the, some of the things that he's done for other, you know, Latin-born players and to kind of bring them under his wing and, and try and help show them and teach them you know, how to play them in the major leagues, how to act and conduct yourself. You know, from a veteran player, 
um, to take on that responsibility. I always appreciate and admire, you know, being a leader like that. And, um, you know, obviously the skill set, dude, like the big home runs, the clutch home runs, the World Series ring. So I got I got Big Poppy as, as my best DH of all time. Yeah, it's listen, uh, the the guy it was hard not to like, even if you weren't a Red Sox fan, it was hard not to like. Well, I guess maybe if you're a Yankee fan, it would be easy not to <laughs> like uh, Big Poppy. But uh, he was dominant. The guy I'm going with as the best DH of all time is Edgar Martinez. And when you have an award for the DH, the best DH in the season, it, it kind of tips it. Uh, <laughs> but it, for, for me, uh, you know, he has the best uh, OPS all time, 933. That's pretty good for, uh, for a DH who's like, and, and I think DH, you know, once you get into a, a rhythm, you're, you're good, but um, you're, you're not in the field. So you got to find ways to stay loose all the time in the game, as opposed to just sitting around all the time, uh, 309 home runs. Uh, so he wasn't, uh, like 540, like uh, Big Poppy and some of those guys, but he has a career batting average of 312. And Martinez is not strictly a, was not strictly a power hitter. And we, you know, oftentimes it was like, you're the DH, you're going to hit 45 home runs and 150 RBIs or whatever it is. And you might hit, uh, you know, 258, but we're going to take the home runs. With Martinez, you were getting like uh, th- over 300 a lot of the times, so 356 in 95, 327, 330, uh, 337 in uh, the the one year he had like uh, 145 RBIs, um, and he hit 324 with 37 home runs. Like you can't. Do, what He's more do you jet. want from your DH position, He's, right? He was, the, and every year with Seattle. You know, there's uh, another cool stat there. Him and Larry Walker, the only two guys that have finished their careers with a 300, a batting average, 400 on base, and 500 slugging percentage. Two guys that aren't in the Hall of Fame are Hall of Famers. That's incredible. 300, 400, and 500. OPS over 900. You know, if you're if you're OPS at like 750, like you you play in the big leagues, 800. You know, you like you're an All Star. To have a career, you know, in your number sitting at 900. Good call, Dino. That's a tough one between uh, you know best of all time, Big Poppy and Edgar. Dude, like the, one of the best memories I have for baseball was Edgar's big hit in the Kingdom mm-hmm. where Griffey came ripping around and scoring that run. I remember watching that game and then at home, like by myself, start to finish, right after school, like every pitch for whatever reason, I was just locked in on that game with Griff and Edgar Martinez. He's just a, a natural hitter, born to hit, born for the big moment. I uh. I remember the when the wild card first came in and they would play in the afternoons. I literally called in sick oh, yeah. to uh, watch uh, <laughs> playoff baseball. I was like, "Yeah, I'm, uh, I'm sticking around and uh, watching this." Uh, okay, so before we get to our favorites, an interesting name you brought up. Speaking of Edgar Martinez and Larry Walker in the Hall of Fame, you asked me last week if Harold Baines was mm-hmm. a Hall of Famer. I might be rethinking it. The guy almost has uh, has almost ten thousand at bats as a DH. And so he has 384, or he had 384 home runs as a DH. That is second of all time. And, you know, 289 average. It's, uh, you know, it's not Edgar Martinez, 312, but uh, still higher than some of the guys on the list. So I might have to rethink that. Now, for my favorite, um, first of all, I was a big Don Baylor fan. 
Yep. Because of the game RBI Baseball. That yeah. came out in like 1987, he and he legit. had a big year yeah, that yeah. year with the Red Sox. But I'm going with Paul Molitor, uh, who had over 10,000 at-bats. Uh, now, I, I don't know exactly uh, if they were all at-bats, but, uh, you know, the Blue Jay connection um, hit over 300, uh, still had a little bit of power. Um, again, it's it's – it's kind of hard to say, is this guy for sure a DH's whole career? Uh, so Molitor, Don Baylor, I'll go with uh, those two guys. Uh, one, because he was a monster in a video game, and the other because he was a Blue Jay. <laughs> what do you got for Paul, favorite? I love Paul Molitor, man. Uh, he was he was so awesome. When he came to the Jays, like, what a what a clinic on how to hit baseballs the right way. Played the game hard. You know, could run. Um you know, and that was kind of early on when, like, not everybody had just a straight DH. And, like, he he filled that role at the end of his career. Uh, but I'm my, my favorite DH uh, of all time, I'm going with a, a, a guy that I met, a guy that uh, I hit with a little bit at uh, in college at my old school at the uh, University of Jamestown is Travis Hafner. Hmm. Look, I'm uh, on this list. He's on this list. He's yeah. the uh, has the 10th most home runs of DHs. Pronk. Not Gronk, but Pronk. Um, Man, that dude had like four or five years that were just unreal in Cleveland. Um, so I got I got to hit with them in school when I was a sophomore, and I was you know I'm always trying to learn, but I was trying to learn how to you know hit the ball the right way. Um, so Travis Hafner came and worked out with our team a little bit. We were in the cage. You know, kind of waited to the end. A couple of us got a couple of the Canadians kind of waited it out so that you know other people wouldn't be around. Maybe get some one on one time, which happened. So we hit in the cage with Travis Hafner. I remember asking him, I'm like, you know, did, you know, watching him hit, you know, it was the first time I'd been that close to a big league guy. I said, you know, like, what's the key to hitting, Travis? You, you mind me asking, you know, what's the key to hitting? All humble, kind of scared to talk to him type thing. And he said, uh, you know, it's balance. You got to have balance. And, like, that was – then he took a couple swings, then he left the cage. That was it. I've never met him, never seen him again. He left the cage, and I was like, okay, you know, great. Thanks for – like, okay, so how do I do that? So he gave me the key. I didn't know how to apply the information. Um, and so that that's always stuck in the back of my head. Um, I didn't have balance as it turned out because I remember watching the video that I had. Um, there, there's an idea of balance and then there's actual balance. And then I wasn't balanced when I was hitting. It made it more difficult. Um, so I was able to kind of figure out how to be balanced, you know, through the whole process of the movements because you, you, ha you can't hit static. You have to have a little bit of rhythm in there. Well, how do you move, you know, let's say I'm 180 pounds in college. How do I move 180 pounds, time it up properly so that I'm in balance when a pitch is coming at me? Makes it start seeming a little bit more difficult to do. And um, that advice has stuck with me ever since uh, we got that opportunity to hit with Travis Hafner. Um, that dude hit some mammoth home runs, middle of that lineup in Cleveland where they produced some big-time hitters. And it's cool because he came from small town, North Dakota. Um, Jamestown. Sykes, Sykes, well, he's just outside Jamestown. Oh, called okay. Sykeston, North Dakota. Um, there's, there's actually a big leaguer from Jamestown. It's Darren Erstad, who was at the Angels and then uh, he just resigned from the University of Nebraska. He's a Cornhusker. There's a cool story about Erstad. He was the kicker on the football team in 94 that won the football national championship before he went and pursued pro baseball. So uh, really cool to hit with Travis Hafner. He's my favorite because I met him. Travis Hafner at the DH spot. Weird, see, uh, well, interesting career, not weird, but breaks in with the uh, Rangers in 02. 10 years with Cleveland, 
and then bookends it with a season with the Yankees. But you're right, he had monster years. He had uh, for, from 2004 to 2007, he had 28, 33, 42, 24 for home run numbers and four straight 100-plus RBI seasons, 109, 108, 117, and 100. So you're right, some some monster years uh, from Hafner. And that brings us to then versus now. And this is what we're going to talk about, DH. And uh, I mentioned earlier there's the the few guys that, uh, you know, hit for average and power at the DH, but it's mostly been known as a power position. Oh. Like it's, you know, there's not a lot of guys that, uh, but, you know, at, at your level and different levels, you can play with the DH a little bit. But at the major league level, there's been a change in, um, I guess, how guys are used uh, in the DH position. Yeah, you know, uh, early on, it was always kind of where you would spell some guys. It's kind of like a half a day off. And then as the DH became um, more prevalent in, in in Major League Baseball as a position, you know, guys like Edgar Martinez and Harold Baines made it a position and, and Big Poppy and Hafner, they made it a position. And so that's there's always this trickle-down effect into college baseball and youth baseball and whatnot. You know, at the youth levels, you use it as you move guys around, and, and it's an opportunity to get guys some different playing time opportunities as you're teaching the game and trying to develop. You know, at, at our level right now with our ball club, um, it's a spot where we can kind of move guys in and out, um, you know, give guys rest from playing defense for nine innings. Uh, but there are teams in our league that, you know, have a DH that is their DH, that, that, that basically that's what his job is. Um, it's cool to see how this has evolved over the years into it being, you know, a position on the field. But there's still teams that, that kind of cycle through. So I'm not sure. Uh, I'm not sure if it'll ever be just your DH. But there'll be teams that employ that. You know, Nelson Cruz. You know, a perfect example of his bat so special that, you know, it's worth the other guys not getting to DH. You'll have to figure out playing time a different way to have that bat and that dangerous bat in the lineup all the time. All right, and that'll uh, wrap things up for us on Episode 9. Um, you guys got uh, another important week, a day off today, day off tomorrow yeah. too. Yeah, it's That's like a Christmas break rare one. So uh, good luck this week. As you mentioned, a lot of divisional games. Uh, it's important. The sun will be out. Uh, it's a beautiful ballpark. So I highly encourage anybody to uh, take the family out uh, for uh, some inexpensive entertainment at Remax Field. And, of course, we like to thank T Tanner Roundy for joining us on the program today as well. A uh, really good story about uh, being a Edmonton prospect. And, yeah, check out the prospects at Prospects Baseball Club. Dot .ca uh, we're at prospectsbaseballshow.ca uh, have fun this week jordan thank you very much dino and remember ban the <laughs> shift <laughs> it's gone it's a grand slam and that's the ball game